Realism in Role-Playing Games From the get-go, this term, realism, is problematic. Like so many other controversies, the first step is to get clarity. When we approach fantasy role-playing games, which all exist in a fiction, we're faced with a semantic conflict, for fantasy sounds like it's at odds with reality. The common snipe is, you're in a world with ghosts, monsters, and magic, and you think realism is important? That's cute. But the culprit here is how the word fantasy is being used. In his essay on fairy stories, Tolkien said, Fantasy is a natural human activity. It certainly does not destroy or even insult reason. And it does not either blunt the appetite for nor obscure the perception of scientific verity. On the contrary, the keener and clearer is the reason the better fantasy will make. Fantasy worlds are called such simply because they are not in the world that we happen to inhabit, the primary world. They possess different phenomena and histories than we have in ours. Tolkien refers to these as secondary worlds. So, the common fantasy secondary worlds are ancient or medieval fictions, actually possessing the elements like we have in our mythologies and legends, like magic and monsters, demonic forces, and so forth. But they can still be logical, ordered, coherent worlds. The shorthand is realism. Realistic fantasy is therefore not an oxymoron, because fantasy here does not mean unrealistic, rather alternate, a secondary world. So the real question is, why would someone want that? The answer is that realistic worlds facilitate natural believability. But one may ask, isn't belief in a secondary world a volitional act on the part of the participants? Yes, partially, we are for our purposes role-playing in these fictions and therefore choosing to suspend our disbelief in their fictitious ontology. The GM traditionally constructs a secondary world and a tale and we, the players, choose to psychologically enter it in the same way that we swim in the tales of novels and movies. As Tolkien says, what really happens is that the story maker proves a successful sub-creator. He makes a secondary world which your mind can enter. Inside it, what he relates is true. It accords with the laws of that world. You therefore believe it while you are, as it were, inside. The less that we must strain our sensibilities, our own experiences and expectations of life, the easier it is to maintain the belief bond with that fiction. Conversely, the more haphazard and irrational the secondary world, the weaker our potential link will be. 
It's possible to imagine any logically possible scenario or action, but the more chaotic the thing imagined, the less plausible it is to us. Psychologically, we can make leaps into ridiculous scenarios, but the connection will be weaker, and this requires far more effort than imagining the plausible. Thus, we are left fighting back disbelief from the outside, instead of enjoying the imagined from the inside. When enjoying a serious novel or show, we've all had those jarring moments of, they wouldn't have done that. She wouldn't have gone into that warehouse alone without telling her partner. She's way too careful for that. The genre is irrelevant. When something unrealistic happens, we feel it, and it damages the bond that we enjoy. Tolkien goes on to say, The moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic, or rather art, has failed. You're out in the primary world again, looking at the little abortive secondary world from outside. If you're obliged, by kindliness or circumstance, to stay, then disbelief must be suspended or stifled. Otherwise, listening and looking would become intolerable. But this suspension of disbelief is a substitute for the genuine thing, a subterfuge we use when condescending to games or make-believe, or when trying, more or less willingly, to find what virtue we can in the work of an art that for us has failed. Tolkien is using two types of belief here, natural and forced. There's the tale that pulls us into the world, generating a genuine plausibility. This is the otherworld immersion that I and many other gamers desire. But there's also the poorly constructed tale, which we don't really buy, but can tolerate and force ourselves to have a play-along-with-it type of belief. But this is nothing like natural, imaginative, immersive belief. Again, Tolkien says, Fantasy has also an essential drawback. It is difficult to achieve. Fantasy may be, as I think, not less, but more sub-creative. But at any rate, it is found in practice that the inner consistency of reality is more difficult to produce. The more unlike are the images and the rearrangements of primary material to the actual arrangements of the primary world. It is easier to produce this kind of reality with more sober material. Fantasy thus too often remains undeveloped. It is and has been used frivolously, or only half seriously, or merely for decoration. It remains merely fanciful. And of course we must recognize as always that gamers have different appetites. These tastes are on a moving spectrum. Some gamers are quite happy with less serious and sometimes downright silly or even incoherent role-playing worlds and events. Sometimes gamers just want 
their games with disjointed, exciting moments rather than a contiguous world, or even to think of their sessions as taking in worlds at all. But many others do want that deep otherworld immersion feeling in their role-playing experiences, and realism is the right tool. But having recognized the benefit we get from realistic secondary worlds, many gamers through the decades have sought it and, much to their baffled frustration, may note that something has gone awry. This happens when we have shifted our focus too much on granularity and fallen down the slope of what I call detailism. When our focus and energy go too far down the path of trying to simulate the nitty-gritty of things, I think that we can start losing the very thing we're seeking by using realism. We can fall down rabbit holes onto any topic, armor, arrows, kingdom rule, trade, travel, you name it. At that point, we are, to some degree, losing the forest for the trees, or the branches, or even the leaves. This is a balancing act, and my own solution comes from using a version of the Pareto Principle, which in this application means that we get 80% of our benefit from 20% of our effort. Practically speaking, this means that as long as our effort and focus is informed intuition of reality, then realism is helping and not hindering our role-playing experience. I call this guiding principle immersive relevant realism, factually informed logical coherence concerning elements that affect the way the participants relate to the game world, to their own characters and to other characters. This applies to every element of the gaming world, and some are easier than others to emulate. The interpersonal may be the easiest and arguably the most important to handle realistically. How would the farmer react to events or statements that were made? Trust your imagination. Trust your gut. Any GM can look inside and just ask, how would I react if I were this farmer? That's the realism we need to strengthen relatability. One path that many role-playing games lead us down is to supplant our instinctual implementation of cause and effect with, let's have fun with the dice. This may seem exciting to have extreme events occur because the dice landed on one end or the other, but randomness, when stability is the more logical path, damages our believability in that setting as a real place. Some issues can slip into deep technical swamps. For example, the reality of getting wounded can open a Pandora's box of if-then problems. But instead of trying to deal with the granularity of ligaments or blood clots, it's enough to know that wounds endanger us and impair us. If my leg is wounded, I cannot run as well, or perhaps not even walk. If my sword arm is wounded, my ability to swing my sword is diminished. We don't necessarily have to break open a medical manual and pinpoint the exact damage that a spear may have caused to your thigh. 
It's enough to trust our informed intuitions and embrace useful generalities. Wounds diminish our functionality. We bleed, we weaken, and we get closer to death. Falling can hurt. Falling far, by which I mean a mere 25 feet, can really hurt, can even kill us. These principles are simple, but they're sufficient for that other-world immersive experience that we want. Employing this realism does not mean trying to simulate each grain of sand in order to emulate a beach. By expending just enough energy to give us an instinctual, relatable realism, we help generate the other-world immersion that we want. <laughs>